Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tallest, founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. Keep the music flowing. We'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much, as always, for making your way here. You know how this goes. If you, uh, if you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button. I do three new interviews every single week. It's a brand new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it's a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists. Discover some new ones. Know what's happening in the music world. And you can find us at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you like to get your podcasts from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Jacob Dylan of The Wallflowers. They are back with a brand new record called Exit Wounds. It's their first brand new album in nine years. I mean, of course, Jacob stayed busy. There's been some solo work in there and the Echo in the Canyon documentary, but this makes the official return of the band, and that's what we're going to dive into. We're going to get into um, uh, some of the anxieties and politics of the past four years and how they found their way into the songs, his penchant for taking time between records, and the unmistakable influence of Tom Petty's music on the collection. Uh, in fact, we're, we're just going to geek out about Tom Petty for a while. That's, that's the gist of it. Uh, why his songwriting was so good uh, it's sort of an unanswerable but very obvious question uh, in itself so we'll get into that and discuss a little bit of that echo in the canyon documentary then we get the time travel all the way back to 1996 because it's the 25th anniversary of the wallflowers sophomore album bringing down the horse uh, we'll get into the uh, well the timeless quality of the album's hit single uh, one headlights and hear quite a bit more about that and so much more uh, on top of all of that so let's do this and discuss exit wounds it's kyle meredith with jacob dylan of the wallflowers hey kyle it's jacob dylan how are you it's so good to have new music again uh, i know we sort of you know it's not been long since we've heard from you with the echoes in the canyon soundtrack but to have a new wallflowers record you know, we're such big fans. I'm such a big fan. And this album, Exit Wounds, is uh, all that I would have hoped for. Thank you right for on. returning, man. Uh, well, thanks. Well, you got to go away sometimes for people to miss you, I suppose, right? <laughs> I know how that works. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a huge swing for the fence here, and I'm going to expect a strike, by the way. But I was listening to the album, and, you know, you can gather a lot from songs, how you, what, what you get out of them, you know, the uh, what they're about as a listener. 
And I thought it would have been gone the easy route to uh, to think about a lot of these songs in the traditional relationship sort of way. But I started listening to this record as if you were talking about singing about being a musician on a lot of these songs and the light and the career of a musician. And uh, even uh, some of the songs, uh, I thought it would be an interesting way to hear this as if your guitar was talking to you like Roots and Wings, the, the first single. It kind of opened it up a little bit in ways I never would have expected this record. Again, I'm not expecting much here, but am I close on any of that? Well, you're not wrong, really. I mean, uh, I wouldn't say specifically about the life of a musician, but uh, any, you know, any vocation, anything you do for a long time. Yeah. You know, you you wind up in the middle of life and yeah, you're going to have uh, you're going to have reflection and you're going to be wondering uh, where you're at. And, you know, it's it's a, my age and my amount of time doing this. It's normal to reflect, but it, I wouldn't say specifically about the life of a musician. It's my life, but I just happen to be a musician, I suppose. I like I could hear that a little bit and maybe your heart's not in it no more. But also like there's a lot of times on here that you are you're seeing like you mentioned either the band, you mentioned the word the band or you mentioned, you know, being in the bar and the music playing and everything. And that's I think that's where it all kind of stemmed from. It's like, you know, kind of trying to picture where you are with this. If it was, you know, even more of a character based sort of a thing. You know, it's very common that no matter what you're, you're trying to get across and say, you, t you tend to wrap up songs uh, in terms of relationships. But, um, you know, it's often naive to think when somebody's singing, they're talking about, you know, a man or a woman or, and friendships, anything. You have to place things into context. And often you can do that with characters. And sometimes you're one of them. And sometimes you're the one that no one's suspecting. You is not always you and I is not always I. But music in general, you know, songs... They just feel and sound sound good when you when you put it in that context. Um, so you know, yeah, something uh, you know on the surface what something looks like, like that gets over for somebody. But for people who know you as a writer, they might be uh, inclined to maybe take it apart a little bit more um, and figure out who's who in which song because you're not always the I. And I, I never hear music and assume that. I never uh, when somebody says the word I in a song, actually that person singing is the last person I assume it is. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I could be wrong that people listen to my music that way. Uh, but that's just the way you get songs over sometimes. Sure. And it's as a fan, it's just fun ways to deconstruct every now and then just to kind of play around with it. You know, there are moments in here that, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, about what they might be around, like move the river. There's a line. It's not as dark as it's going to get. And we're a long way from higher ground. If I got that close to correct. Yeah. I don't know how much of this record was written in the past year. I don't know how much of this record was written in the past four years, but it does seem like the anxiety, the pressures that we've all felt these last few years, did those moments find their way into these songs? Yeah, it's impossible if they don't. I mean, you know, the song you mentioned, Move the River, maybe is the only song that I would say uh, it gets right to the heart of it and the thick, the end of the thick of it of what we've all been experiencing in the last, uh, you know, four years or so. I didn't want to spend too much time writing about it because I, like everybody else, you know, wanted to pass and move on already. And I don't want to spend too much time. I don't want to spend any more time thinking about it than I had to. You know, we all, we were inundated. We still are with all this bullshit that, you know, I don't want to write about it and then have to sing those songs for the next 20 years. Like, I, you know, I don't want to devote one more minute to it because I'm hopeful that we'll just move on and we won't be here anymore. And I don't, you know, I hope these songs I write that I plan on singing them for the rest of my career. I don't want to sing a song about those things. So that might be the only song that was uh, right in the heat of it, where I was, it was unavoidable that I had to address it for myself at least a bit. But, um, you know, no, most of the record was written 
during the last four years, uh, most of it really, uh, a couple I had hanging around from a couple years earlier that I wanted to get to, but anybody writing during this time, if you're coming from a place like I am, which, you know, it's a cliche, but you do write about what you know, um, unless you're writing narratives and trying to just, uh, or you're writing songs for hire for other people, which I, I don't do often. If you were writing songs the last four years, you may not think that it's affected you, but it's in all your writing. There is a natural amount of anxiety and paranoia that's going to seep into your music. It's unavoidable. It's kind of like tree rings sort of a way. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's who you are. It's what we've been dealing with. I mean, no matter what you're writing a song about, that has affected your mood every day. If you're, even if you're preoccupied with uh, whatever, you know, the climate had, has affected you in, in how you address things and feel about things. I guess one of the, you know, the obstacles too is is not having a song be too time stamped. I mean, if you were specifically wanting to write that topical song, that's one thing, but but even a song like Move the River, I mean, there there is that danger that it becomes the song of that era. I mean, the, I guess that's part of the things you want to avoid. Am I am I assuming right on that? Uh, well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I've always been aware of that. Um, I mean, other people do that. And you know, you hear those songs. And I listen to a lot of people put records out during the pandemic and you know, I, I, they were all basically just uh, chirons from TV. You know, they were just, you're telling everybody what we already know. And I don't, it's, there's, you're not really opening up this discussion. And songs should be a discussion to some degree, unless you're just yelling at people or writing slogans, which I don't do much of. It's kind of unavoidable to, to have it be in your music at this point. Um, I couldn't, you know, I don't know who can see a way around it, really. You'd mentioned writing over the past few years. Maybe I had this wrong. I thought I've done one interview with you before, and I know you've been to the WFPK in Louisville once or twice before, too. But I seem to remember you saying a lot of times or sometimes maybe you'll wait to write songs until it's time to make an album. Like it wasn't something you just did every now and then no well you know it's a lot of work to write songs and i'm not somebody who drops out songs daily and thinks everything i got belongs on wax i mean <laughs> I, I i'm pretty good at editing myself and i try to put the best songs forward that i have knowing that i don't make records every year um i wish i made more but i also wish some people made less you know so <laughs> you know i try to i try to care about the 10 12 songs i'm going to use and uh i keep all my notes and when it's time to write songs I know the way I am. I, I'm hard to talk to when I'm writing songs. I'm preoccupied all the time. Those songs, they, they wrestle with you morning, noon, and night. You're not fun to be around. It's totally distracting and it swallows you up and you end up places frustrated and, and, and you know, trying to get the song done. And you, it's hard to do much else. So it's not, it's not, I don't always want to be in that place, but I'm always keeping my notes. And I'm always, you know, making small demos for myself. So I don't forget ideas, but. I don't have logs and logs of like outtakes and things that, uh, you know, songs. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I like records a lot and I, I write records. Uh, I think it's a privilege to make records that people might hear. And then I hope I can play these songs for a long time. But no, there are there are the writers, the people who just are constantly recording. And it's just it's, it's just math. You know, most of them just aren't going to be great if you're doing that all the time. I mean, first of all, I, I say all this with saying do whatever you want to do. I just acknowledge what works for me, you know. So does it make um does it make it too uh, easy to put together the like a the big deluxe edi edition package where there's you know twenty left over? You know, the, I honestly wish I was better at that. I, I, I historically with my records, I've had one or two leftover songs because I know when I'm writing a song, I know if it's it's not going to be very good, and I know it's not going to be great, and I only want I want to do only my best, and that's that's not the best habit to have. That's not the best attitude to have. But I find when I'm working on a song, and I know that it, the limitations of the song are some are somewhat uh, not as high as I'd like, I have a hard time completing it. I just have a hard time, but I'd rather make room for something that I think potentially could be great. I'll tell you one of my favorite songs on the record, um, just to bring it up, uh, who's the man, who's that man walking around my garden? 
<laughs> I thought, here's one time. I actually hope there's no metaphors that this is just a literal song about. It's a romper, though. I mean, did you have, you know, was, did you do you have anything in mind on songs like this? Did, do you use any musical touch points at all? Well, yeah, actually, you mentioned that song. You know, there's a, you know, you know, somebody who looms over the record quite a bit. You know, I knew when it was happening and it was uh, I wasn't expecting it's always find its way, in, it's way into the writing or the music was the, but was the passing of Tom Petty, who was uh, mm. uh, obviously a profound writer for for all of us. But uh, it was somebody that I was getting to know as an adult a little bit more recently. And um, he finds his way into uh, in, in this record more places than one, actually fairly more than a few. I think in that song itself, it said on my knees long after dark. Um, I'd even changed that line originally. It was long after midnight. But Long After Dark being my favorite Tom Petty record, I put that in there. But the, you know, that, that song entirely is a, is, a, is a nod to Tom. That, that uh, it almost, it, when we chased it, it started to feel like this could have been maybe on Full Moon Fever with the production included. Uh, and I just let that happen, you know? I'm glad you did. It's like, you know, two of my favorite songwriters right there, uh, yourself uh, and, uh, and Tom Petty together. That makes sense. Yeah, well, yeah, he had a playfulness and, you know, he was uh, he could do so much with so few words that were that, that did lend to your imagination. It seemed pretty direct, a lot of his songs, but a lot of my favorite ones, it's, you know, he would just find uh, he would just find gold sitting in plain view, you know, and that, that, that's frustrating for other artists because being complicated is not hard to do. You know, saying something pretty direct and having it not be wrapped up in a bunch of phrases and words that are tricky and, and uh, confusing to making it more about forget about how you're saying it. What is it that you're saying? Hopefully maybe it's what your, but your point is, is interesting, not the words choices that you're getting there with. And Tom, I think was as good as a writer who did that as anybody. Yeah. And I'll tell you opposite of what you and I were talking about a minute ago with uh, some people shouldn't write too many, uh, you know, with what we're getting from that wildflowers collection and everything is just still amazing. Every new yeah. unknown song is just, it's mind blowing what he wrote in that time, especially in that time, I should say. Yeah. Well, you're also talking about a rare artist who had no middle and low points in their songwriting. I mean, your least, your least favorite Tom Petty song is still better than 90% of the songs anybody else is writing. And that's <laughs> none of us should be beating ourselves up about that. You know, that's not, that's unusual. But I'm with you on that. I've heard I've heard all that music, and it, yeah, you know, only yeah, you know, it, it makes sense that you'd have to leave some of those songs off the record only because they had to make way for the, the songs that you already know. And I'm sure it was very difficult. And I think that's why mm -hmm. uh, his family pushed so hard to realize his full vision of a double record because they're all just great songs, and the people deserve to hear them, and they belong in that context. They're not mm -hmm. out of context. They belong in the body of work of that material during that time that he was writing. Yeah, you, uh, you of course had him in, in Echo in the Canyon, and um, I loved that. Do you plan on tackling any other projects like that? Because I, I want to give you props. You're not you were so good at that, like the, uh, the storytelling of what of of that and, and the concept. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, you know, I think some people that it was frustrating that movie for. I mean, obviously, a lot of some people liked it very much. Some people, I think, were frustrated with they didn't understand that it was not really a movie about Laurel Canyon. I mean, Laurel Canyon, like that's something for Ed, you know, uh, Jesus, long space. Ed, like Ken uh, Burns? Oh. Yeah, Ken Burns. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's like something for him to tackle. You know, we, we made a movie very specifically about one year of music and rock bands specifically. And people are frustrated. There's, there's Joni, there's worse Joni Mitchell. Where it's not about that. It's about bands and the action of bands in one year, basically, 1968. So. I think some people miss that. And maybe that was something we didn't uh, solidify in the actual film itself. But, uh, 
Yeah, and you know, some people, you know, maybe thought that I was a little quiet throughout. And I think they also missed the point that, you know, I wanted these people to talk and it wasn't it wasn't about me and it wasn't about my take on that time. It was really about them exploring whatever they wanted to convey to us when they came to film. But, you know, I, I would consider doing something more uh, in the future. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It, it took me out of making records for maybe I would have made something a couple years earlier if we hadn't been uh, so busy with that. But uh I applaud anybody who makes documentaries. They're a peculiar thing because there is no script. You know, you just start with an idea and then two months later, it's about something else. And then six months later, it has nothing to do with that even. It goes on to something else because it's based on the, it's based on the interviews, the information you get. So you just got to be patient and let it unravel. I was, I was watching, um, there's a documentary that Dave Grohl's done called What Drives Us. It, it actually, it, I had Echo in the Canyon in mind on that because it, you know, there's a lot of, um, I don't say crossover, but, you know, there, there's a lot of touch points that, you know, just how this art was created, you know, and it's so interesting to kind of, because ultimately I think is my job. That's, that's really the question we're getting to. That's the base question. How do you do it? Or why do you do what you do and how do you do it? You know? Well, yeah. I mean, people can talk about that concept all day long for the rest of their lives. And the reality, if you ask me is in the end of the day, they, they just actually don't know if, if artists are being really honest, because so much of it is subconscious and so much of it is about learning what you know about yourself in, in terms of, your own creative process. I could say I've been doing this, uh, my first record is almost 30 years ago and I might know less about this than I did then. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's because if it's, uh, if it's creative and it's artistic, you really just don't know what to expect next. That's all you can do is safeguard yourself and collect the best habits you've had. But at the end of the day, that can't, that's not gonna make you write a great song. You hope it does, but that's not where it comes from. Those are tools you use to get there. And really the greatest song is I really, I mean, I love when I read somebody whether you know, maybe Paul Simon will say he doesn't know how why he said that. He doesn't know why he put Joe DiMaggio in that song. He doesn't know. And he can't tell you what it means. You know, it's not, he's not, he didn't put him in there because he's an American icon. He just doesn't know why. And I don't think Joe DiMaggio even liked it. So <laughs> if Paul Simon can admit that, if Paul Simon can admit that he's often floundering around and doesn't feel the need to explain what things are about, that's that should be relieving to everybody else that uh, that the process is fairly uh, elusive. And every now and then you get those lightning in the bottle moments. You know, that kind of connect yeah. the stars. I wish I should bring up one of those. Uh, you've had several, you've had uh, whatever, but uh, it is the 25th anniversary of Bringing Down the Horse, you know, which famously, of course, with, with one headlight in there. I um, roll the dice on this one too, just for fun. That line, I ain't changed, but I know I ain't the same. You know, that's 25 years in the rear view now. How does that line play to you now? Does, does it mean the same thing? Well, my first immediate reaction, that's interesting. Maybe I should think about that. And if my immediate response is, no, that's still dead on. I have, I still, you know, I don't think I've changed, but I, God knows I, I must have. I mean, who had, who, who cannot? I mean, they can right. change day to day, uh, but it happens in little micro steps. So you're not aware of it. So, yeah, that's a, you know, I couldn't tell you why I wrote that line either, but that's, you know, you get, you get things like that. And you just, it's, it's important and in your best interest to not look too closely at them because then they just vanish. So you get something like that, you write it down and, and you just accept it. And then uh, you're surprised 25 years later. That goes back to what I said originally. Like you want to sing these songs your whole career if you're planning on doing this for a long time. And you will wind up with songs you look down on and be like, man, I just, I just, it's not that I don't relate. I mean, it, anybody says they don't want to sing songs so they don't relate anymore. I just kind of call bullshit on that because I don't think you have to relate. It's sometimes you're overthinking it. It's just music and your fans might enjoy it. So just buck up and play it. <laughs> uh, and I do that. I mean, it's three, it's three and a half minutes. I'm sure you can do it. You might not want to do it, but don't, I don't like when people pretend that they just think they can't get back to that place. I'm not that person anymore. 
well, I don't know. I mean, I did a lot of songs I sing that I don't feel like that person anymore, but I remember that person and it's a part of my, my catalog. So yeah, people like it. I wrote it. I hope I'm proud of it. I'm going to play it. It's got some magic in it. It does. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. We've, you and I have a, a mutual friend with Scotty Halter. Oh, you know what I mean? When you say Louisville, you know, I was wondering, can I give him a shout out, Scotty? Where are you, Scotty? <laughs> Yeah, Scotty's, Scotty's, Scotty's around. Yeah, he uh, he was telling me that uh, you know when he would be uh, with you on the road every night or, or or every so often he'd be like, "You're gonna play my favorite song," and it was always that song. It's like of all the songs you wanted to hear, of course you're gonna yeah. hear that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a long, yeah, it's still an ongoing joke. I, you know, if he makes a misstep, I'll tell him on the bus. I'm not, I'm not gonna play it, pal. If you don't get it together, you're not gonna hear it tonight. Come on, I don't have to play it, Scotty. You know. Yeah, he's um he's a very very good friend of mine. Oh, he's such a sweet guy. We we do love him around here. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. good for you guys. And I'll, I'll bring up real quick too. Um, yesterday I was talking with Adam Duritz. Uh, of course, County Crows have a new record as well, and and of course he was on this record too. And I don't have a question. You know what, man? Just what a time it was. It, it, there's so much magic on that record. Um, uh, and I can say that about a lot of your records too. Uh, like the magic that I heard that I feel on, especially on that song on one headlight, like I still hear in darling, hold on, on this new record. Like oh, it's still there. You're able to tap into that. Yeah, I guess so. You know, in a lot of ways, I mean, that record, it's interesting that it's the one that uh, it made such a big impact. You know, I was asked yesterday if, there's, if there was pressure to follow that record up. And I don't know how, I don't remember how I answered the question at the time, but I thought about it the rest of the day. And, you know, and I never did feel any pressure to follow it up because if I think, I think if I knew how we did it, and if I could retrace what we did, then maybe I would have felt pressure to try to relive it and try to do something that's worthy. But uh, you don't know why those records happen. And most bands do, if you're lucky, you do that one time and then you shouldn't beat yourself up forever that your, the rest of your career doesn't match that. I mean, who can you name that actually? I mean, you're, that didn't happen to Nirvana. It didn't happen to Pearl Jam. It, it didn't have, most bands, you get your that one thing that introduces the world to you and then that gives you your footing and you, hopefully you're going to have a career. But uh, so for us, you know, for me that we had that record and I remember a lot of things about it, of course, but what I do remember was just, you know, trying to have the right songs and learning how to be in a band. We were pretty young and the band was rotating and shifting members and it was a great opportunity. And uh, that's all, that's the most I can really take from it. And then it takes on a life of its own. I mean, nobody knew when we were making that record that it was, I mean, nobody ever knows that about any record right. I mean, what, when you're making it, when you're in the thick of it, you don't know. And a lot of those records, don't ever get over they're great records but for a lot of reasons of the machinery and and artist behavior you, you don't ever hear them so you know i don't take full credit for that by any stretch i wrote that record i recorded that record but a lot of uh, other hands helped it you know helped it become what it became i i'll point out just because you said it um i thought breach was a great follow-up myself uh mm -hmm. rebel sweetheart is probably one of my favorite records of that entire decade of the of the oh. 2000s right on. I, I, I will say that um 
while I was kind of researching this and I, I ended up online and, and there's the greatest hits on there and I had never heard the song eat you sleeping before. And I just, I'm kind of a little bit obsessed with that one right now too. That's a, you know, uh, yeah. You know, I, I guess, I, I guess we did that. Uh, geez. That was, yeah. What I remember at the time we did that with, uh, the producer I wanted to work with at the time. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of a stretch from bringing on the horse. And I do remember some of the record companies saying too much growth. And uh, which I thought was, I thought, I, I don't know how you ever, it, it always stuck with me. Like there's a lot of, you want you to say you don't like it. You just say that. <laughs> just say the song sucks. Or will you say many things, but too much growth. Like that's the antithesis of what any artist is ever going to want to hear. Like you're lighting me up, like in a good way when you say that. Um, but we ended up uh, abandoning that, 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 what we were chasing at the time. Not, not, not because of what I was told that it was too much growth, but things weren't lining up anyway. But that always stuck with me as a strange thing to say to an artist. Um, quickly, I, I also, I, I only because I meant to bring it up earlier, Shelby, Shelby Lynn, you have her on this record and she sounds fantastic. You've now done a thing. Like I, I was thinking back on a previous tour and you had, uh, you had Nico Case and of course there was the Echo in the Canyon stuff. Hell, even back to Adam Duritz. How much do you get, uh, how important is it to you to have that other voice to bounce off of when you're, uh, when you're writing and recording? Uh, well, you know, you could, there's, there's a couple different reasons to do that. I mean, I think uh, at other times, well, Nico is saying on that record, the women of country as well with, with Kelly Hogan, um, mm -hmm. you know, and they were, it was, it was more conceptual. Women's voices were, you know, kind of a, in, in a background or chorus kind of effect that we wanted T-Bone and I at that time. And, other times you just need somebody to boost a chorus or, you know, a, a verse. Maybe it could be a woman, it could be anybody. It's just a pad behind what you're singing. Um, and other times, you, like Shelby, you know, we wanted somebody featured. We were not going to make this record is, is very, um, uh, I mean, if you look at the, the, the credits on it, I mean, I've had records where there's been, you know, 30 people on it. This is, a, this is just a small band and the only guest is Shelby and She's one of the greatest singers of all time, certainly living today. And, you know, that that's not enough to record together. You still have to have some kind of chemistry make sense together. And uh, she takes up, you know, singers take up a lot. They take up a certain amount of space when they sing. And you can't put your finger on why somebody takes up a large amount of space. Like, I have a very large voice. That's a very, maybe an abstract way to put it. But I don't blend in very well with people. It's just the, the EQ of my own voice. Um, and some people have great voices, but they actually just don't take up a lot of space. They're kind of thin and you, it's hard to mix them. And Shelby has, you know, this beautiful voice that has a lot of space. You don't have to put much around her. You don't have to, don't have to put much around me either. So the two of us together, I thought was, a, was a, was really a jackpot for, for me. And, you know, it's certainly the song draw and hold on. Like, you know, you know, when she sang it, you know, it was a, it was a, a thrill for me to hear something I wrote with her being such a commanding singer that you know, I became much more impressed with what I was able to do hearing her sing it. You know, it's it's kind of out of body. It's kind of like I hear her sing it, and I think, man, I wish I had songs like that. <laughs> and then, but that's what happens from a voice. That's what a voice can do. You know, if I I can sing that song and I'll, I can sing that second verse, and somebody might think it's impressed, it's wonderful. But for me, I hear her sing that, and it's just it's incredibly moving. No, the recipe is perfect on that. I, I completely agree with you. You guys sound yeah. so good together on that. Yeah. And Jacob, again, uh, I, the compliments, exit wounds. I, I love it. I, I love that you guys are back, uh, that you're back as the wallflowers, whatever that means, yeah. you know, whether it's you or solo, it, it you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have music from you. And I, I, do well, love I appreciate it. that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, you know, I'm real excited about this. I wish we were out there touring and, uh, you know, uh, it's been too long and it's, it's kind of makes it even a little more difficult just to have waited this long to make a record and then not be able to go out and play it, which is, you know, for me, that's the, 
that's the, the part that makes it all worthwhile. And, you know, we'll just have to wait like everybody else, be patient. But uh, yeah, I'm really glad you like it and I appreciate it. And all the compliments to all the records and songs you said. And there, but there is tour, tour dates coming up. I saw the, the arena tour is on the way. So as long as well, everything stays in motion, what? right? I don't think that that, no, that's been, that's been postponed again. Oh, okay. I, mean, I, got you know, it. I, talked, oh, I did, I spoke to some people yesterday. I'm kind of, I guess that word hasn't really uh, gotten around enough yet. And it's, I want to make sure from my end that that tour mm-hmm. has been postponed totally, you know, out of my hands and I'm disappointed and I'm a little confused to be honest that I, you know, it's an outdoor arena outdoor shed tour with another group and i thought we'd be safe if anybody was going to be safe in doing a tour like that but sure. i got word uh just end of last week that it's not going and i'm uh i'm confused and i'm incredibly disappointed so we'll have to hopefully just be back around yeah and it's hard for bands right now if you if you don't have a tour rescheduled from last year you know they're not booking new tours so I, it's going to be hard for me to find any ways to play this summer but we'll try to figure something out you can busk, you know, just do it the old way. Just get out on the court. Yeah. Put the I, got, I, don't know if, I don't know if those are going to cover my bills, those, those gigs, but I'll, I'll give it a swing. <laughs> Jacob, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it. It's been a lot right, of fun, man. man. I appreciate it. Thank you again. All right. Take care. All Bye. Right. Now, the last time Jacob and I caught up was actually back in uh, in 2013. This was the year right after they released uh, what was their previous record uh, to this new one. It was all the way back in 2012 that they gave us Glad All Over. So Jacob and I got to catch up. Uh, backstage at the uh, DeLuna Festival down south to talk about Glad All Over, to talk about uh, having Jack Irons as his drummer at that point, uh, a decade of uh, retro writing and a lot more. So this is part two of Kyle Meredith with Jacob Dillon of The Wallflowers. Hey, sir, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. We got the Gulf of Mexico behind us. Yeah. You even look like you're dressed for the occasion here. Do I? Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, at least with the hat. You yeah. Know, it's, it's fun to see a lot of uh, a lot of musicians walking around here. It's the sun is a very evil thing to, to musicians. Oh, it's not so bad. We like it sometimes. Yeah, well, uh, it's going to be a show up here. We've been really excited to see you back uh, by, back with, uh, what do you call it, the, the regular day job, I guess. Yeah, i got a couple jobs. I like this one a lot. Yeah, well, it is good. And, and you've returned. Uh, it, it, the interesting thing about it, and, and maybe you can help us out here, what, 2005, Rebel Sweetheart. Uh, you take a few years off, you do the solo records. So now it's been seven years since we've, uh, you know, had the Wallflowers. No solo records, you know, a nice acoustic, breezy affair. How important was it to redefine that Wallflowers sound? Because, you know, from what we've heard so far, this is a completely different sound for the Wallflowers. Well, I think it's just an extension of us. Um, you know, I like doing the solo records. There's a time and place for all of it, but it was time to get back to this. We, I think we all took our break and we all learned to appreciate having a good band and how it's hard to make them as you get older. So. It's a, uh, you know, it means enough to me and it's enough to the guys. It was, it's worth revisiting now and hopefully always. Yeah. Well, we're grateful for it. All right. Did you know it was going to be this, uh, this long of a break? No. Uh. I think I, I think we all intended a couple years. Right. But uh, you know, time goes by, it goes fast. Yeah. So how does that, how does that call end up happening finally? Well, actually, we all, we all were in touch the whole time. Okay. We all were just busy. We all went and saw each other, do other shows and other um, projects. Uh, everybody just got very busy and it became very complicated setting a good year aside for us to do this. Yeah, so what happens. Uh, the band, you know, you've got some new members in there, but I think surprising, Jack Irons. How about Jack that? Jack Irons. When the news comes out, it's like, I, I read that wrong. Jack Irons is not with the Wallflowers? No, if you don't like the songs I write, come and see Jack play drums. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with that. Maybe it's a two for ticket then. But uh, yeah. yeah, Jack's incredible. I mean, it's... Uh, but Jack uh, isn't like the Wallflowers we knew. No, how so? Well, I, I, Jack is a very um, 
uh, involved drummer, I guess, very meticulous. And, and I don't know how it works out on the record. Once again, you know, at this point, at this taping, I've heard the single. Yeah. And it already seems like that changed it. I mean, uh, even hearing like Jack's solo stuff and everything, it's like, how is Jack going to work with Wallflowers with your well, songwriting? that was a good question. I didn't know either until we just got in there and started. And, you know, a good drummer, a good musician is very versatile. I don't really know that Jack has defined his particular style. I think he's defined uh, his character, but yeah. I mean, he's incredibly versatile. Yeah. So was it part of it when you're putting uh, when you're putting everything back together though? And I mean, it goes back to that. You know, were was it? Did you set out to redefine the wallflowers? Did you have to redefine the wallflowers to reintroduce them? No. You after this long? No, I don't think so. I think we're a pretty uh, dependable band. I think we do something that's based in tradition. I think that's always going to be there. Um, but we have no boundaries. We do whatever we want. I mean, we definitely been doing it long enough where it doesn't. There's nothing to protect or anything to try to sustain. We just whatever pops in our minds, what we're going to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of your um, interesting quotes I've uh, remembered some point back in an interview uh, is your style of writing. You've been, you've said that you know you kind of wait to the last minute, you know, just uh, you, you write, you wait till you have to do it to write. Is well, that true? And did that happen even with this? Did I say that? I think you said that. I, well, I, I think, remember you said. <laughs> let me let me paraphrase myself. Okay. Yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, no, I'm not someone who just writes songs all the time. I, I keep notes all the time and I accumulate my my thoughts and what I want to do and then I usually need a project or if it's a Wallflowers or a solo record I kind of need to know what that is before I start putting songs together because the project itself kind of dictates what the material is going to be. Yeah. So um, I'm always writing to some degree it's just when I get in the studio is when I'm really completing songs. Yeah. yeah. So did that happen then with this one that you're looking at it, it really did take the Wallflowers for you to get on board to say let's do this record let, let me write this record. Yeah, I didn't really have anything. Yeah, I mean, so. we had, we talked and we made a schedule and planned to get together. And we all also talked about everybody writing more, contributing more musically. So I just went down to Nashville with the band and I just had lyrics. Yeah. I had a couple songs, but I just had a whole bunch of lyrics and found places to put them. Yeah, it's interesting when you do that though. That um, you know, a lot of people like to talk about themes and whatever, but it seems like that would really happen if, if especially if you're just kind of coming in. Sort of clean slate like that. Yeah, well, all your material ends up having a theme whether you want it to or not. If you write it all in a similar, the same block of time, yeah. yeah, it's just gonna, you know, we may not be in control of it, but uh, if your songs are written closely together, you're gonna be working with uh, images and language and themes that you may not be aware of, but they're all connected. Nice snapshot. Yeah. Yeah, get to look back on that. So here we are, um, Wallflowers, what, 20 years? Coming up on 20 years? This Gotta be is around 20. there. Yeah, this is 20. 20. Congratulations, happy yeah, anniversary. Thank you. It feels great. You don't look a day over 19. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> you had to, uh, you know, there, there were a lot of comparisons in your early days to, to Bruce and, you know, and all that stuff uh, that I remember hearing about. I see that still happening more. Um, you know, here we are at the Luna Festival, Brian Fallon with Gaslight yeah, Anthem. Gaslight's problem now. Going through the same thing. And I feel like we even came through a decade where it was all just. Oh, they have to sound like this, and they sound like this, and everything. Do you, do you feel like you've really escaped that yourself? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I never. The people they compared us to, anyway, I liked, so I was never. Uh, I wouldn't find that frustrating. Uh, but that's just a reference point for people to know and explain what it is they're talking about. But uh, you know, you could do a lot worse than people compare you to Bruce Springsteen, right? Well, sure. <laughs> but yeah, that's Brian Fallon's problem now. Yeah, right. I hope he enjoys it. Yeah, right. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> but it takes a while to get past. I mean, I couldn't actually explain what the Wallflowers sound like. Good American rock and roll. You know, it's kind of one of those things. And and how do you, how do you kind of say that? But how do I describe it? Well, I don't know how you would describe it. I'm glad I don't have to. I'm like the guys on the other end of the microphone. All the pens <laughs> have to describe it. I just get to do it. It's lazy journalism. That's you what know, that is. I think it's all it's all fine. But uh, I wouldn't. I, I don't. I couldn't just. You know, what we do is what we do. And yeah. I've never had to put a name on it. 
Well, you know, you have been a nice connoisseur, though, of music throughout the decades, and we were just talking about the last decade having to be rehashed. Did you kind of see it like that? And Which decade is rehashed? Th this one that we just came out of. It seemed like all the music that came out of it was, it was all retrofied in a, in a certain way that everybody had to sound like something. I feel like it's the first decade that we didn't get some great original sound out of. Yeah, but people felt like that too in the 80s. You know, they felt Did like they? that in this. Yeah, I think so. I mean, <clears throat> see, I, I think, mean, we could look back and see the cure in, in this. Yeah, in hindsight, you'll always be able to say that. But the, everything is cyclical. And it takes about 20 years for nostalgia to come around and people to like things again. So, uh, I mean, I don't disagree. But the stuff that came back around that was really popular this year was just based in tradition, and that's the, that's the good news. Mm -hmm. So you saw a lot of. Uh, it's a, lot, it's a lot of banjos and beards and acoustic <laughs> guitars. Well, what year is it? 1945 or you know, right. 2012? It's you know, it comes back around. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm happy to see that you guys are furthering your sound every single time. Um, yeah. At this point, we don't know what we're getting from the Wallflowers, which has been true for every record. I mean, even uh, from uh, bringing down the horse to, to to bleach and everything. I mean, that's you know. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it's you know, you, we, I wouldn't say it's an ultimate plan. You just every time you start, you just. You just start again, and you just think what's on your mind, and that's all—that's only—that's your only obligation. Yeah. You know. Well, cool. Keep going yeah. at it, man. I will. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah. Jacob. And my thanks to Jacob Dylan again. The brand new album from the Wallflowers is called Exit Wounds. Thanks to you for checking out this episode and series. Hit that subscribe button at iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your uh, podcasts from. Three brand new interviews every single week. Then, after that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. An hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews. Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence, they've got your music and film news. You can also find me in the social media spots. That's uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All three of them at Kyle Meredith. TikTok at Kyle Meredith 81 Like and follow along. Uh, make sure to say hi when you do. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.